Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy. This season is all about intentional comfort, and we'll be taking a look at the crossroads of the inspiration, intention, and action that you can take to bring more comfort and joy to your everyday. This is your host, Paula Jenkins. Welcome to episode 319 of Jumpstart Your Joy. Today on the show, I'm really excited to be welcoming Laura Joyce Davis. She is the amazing podcaster behind the show Shelter in Place and the founder of Kasama Collective. I am really excited that I got to meet her during Claim Pod Parody Month, and it was just a real joy to get to speak to her about her experience of starting a brand new podcast just as shelter-in-place orders were set into place here in California, where we both live. I found that so much of our journey during the early days of the pandemic was very similar. She also has kids that are about the same age as my son, and it was just really interesting to hear another person's perspective about the impacts of that time, especially since, of course, I wrote a book all about finding joy in the messy middle right during that same period of time. Before I bring Laura on, I want to wish you all a very warm welcome and say thank you so much for tuning in always to jumpstart your joy. It's such a treat to get to do this show. And I'm really thankful for you for listening and sharing these episodes with your friends and family. It makes a big difference. So thank you so much. Of course, if you're new and you want to find out more about Jumpstart Your Joy, there you can head over to the website, jumpstartyourjoy.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for the newsletter, which comes out about weekly, <laughs> where I share the latest episode and give you some joyful thoughts. You can also find my book. I'm just now recording the audio version and working on a Kindle version of that. And I'm really excited to share those. It's under the book tab. And if you're a podcaster, you can also look at joining the podcasting mastermind, which starts this week. And I'm excited to offer that as well. So that's all on jumpstartyourjoy.com, along with, of course, the show notes for this episode with Laura Joyce Davis. And you can find them right there on the homepage um, or search for Laura Joyce Davis if you're listening to this at some point in the future. Some of the things that stood out for me about this really lovely interview was, like I said, the similarities that Laura and I both faced during the early pandemic, but also the way that she looked for and defined home during that time and now. You'll hear how she and her family actually moved across country from Oakland, California, back out out to the East Coast during the pandemic, kind of in that search of what does it mean to have a home. And I really resonated with our conversation about how the wildfires have had such an impact in our state and how, for many of us, it has questioned, is this a place that we can continue to live, even with the many things that come into play that make it difficult day to day? So welcome to the show, Laura Joyce Davis. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's really great to be here. Of course. I just can't wait to get into your history and your story with your show and everything. This is this is so much fun. But before we get to that, would you tell us what brought you joy as a child? What were your earliest sparks of joy? Yeah, you know, I was thinking about this earlier and I was realizing it's interesting how we change so much as people and yet we are still kind of the same at the same time. And I think, yeah. you know, my show, Shelter in Place, we say it's about reimagining life through creativity and community. And as I was making my little list of all the things that sparked joy for me as a kid, I was like, oh, it comes down to those two categories. It's creativity and it's community. It's writing stories and poetry and singing and sitting in the crab apple tree in my front yard, which was not a good climbing tree, but I just like loved to get myself in there in the flowers and 
picking flowers in the woods and being with my siblings. And, you know, where I grew up in Minneapolis is now a suburb. But when I was a kid, it was farmland everywhere. And so we had horses and chickens and, you know, all sorts of animals. And just spending that time with my siblings, with the few neighbors that we had around there, and really just getting to share life with people. It was like, those are my favorite memories of childhood. And I think it's still some of the same things, you know, different versions of it today. But it all comes down to, I love that feeling of being with people that I love and creating things that hopefully will make this world a little more enjoyable for other people too. Yeah. Well, and I can just envision you sitting in the the crabapple tree, probably surrounded by all the flowers and just like, I don't know, reading a book. That sounds like heaven. And so interesting that you grew up outside Minneapolis. I spent my years five to 10 in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. So I know Eden Prairie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, we had a lot of good times in the forest behind our house there. Like, nice. Just, yeah. yeah. It's a special place, Minnesota is. Um, it is. It really is, especially in the summertime. <laughs> I don't really miss it in the winter. That's why I have not gotten back. I yes. love it, though, in the summer. It's so beautiful in the summer. It really is. It's one of the great underrated locations of the country that a lot of people don't know how beautiful it is. Mm-hmm. And the people are kind and good. And they are. I love it there. And you created Shelter in Place, which basically came out the day <laughs> that everything closed down. What was that moment like for you when you're like, I think I got to start a podcast. Yeah, it's a very specific moment that sort of burned in my brain. So I I don't know if you remember that day that we all found out. I mean, you're in the Bay Area too, so you were on the same timeline as me. I remember it was a Monday. It was the first day my three kids were home from school. I have, at the time, they were eight, six, and three. So three little kids home with me. And my husband was at an office job, you know, commuting at the end of the day. We didn't realize it then, but that would be the last time that he was commuting home from that job. And we had just found out that Monday, March 16th, that the Bay Area was going to have shelter-in-place orders on the 17th. And, you know, I did what probably a lot of parents did the weekend before when we first had kind of a hunch that this was happening and that the kids were going to be home, what we thought was going to be, or at least I thought was going to be a couple of weeks. And I searched every homeschool blog and Facebook group that I could find to try to figure out what the heck I was going to do with my three very small, needy children for, you know, what I thought was a couple of weeks. I thought, well, I can do this. This will be two, three weeks. And I'll tell you, one day in, it was not looking good for me. Like, it would have been a very, very bad day. And I every single effort that I'd made to try to be this all-star homeschool mom, which is just generally not something I gravitate to normally, <laughs> it had just failed. And my kids were fighting, and I was exhausted, and I just thought, how am I going to do this for a couple more weeks while they're home? And so my husband walked in the door and he took one look at me. He was like, why don't you go for a bike ride? And I was like, yeah, good idea. So I went out the door and I just, as I was riding, I talk about this in the very first episode of Shelter in Place. I was near tears because it wasn't just about that day. It was about 
the months and even years that had sort of led up to that moment of feeling like for eight years at that point of being a parent, I was trying to be a really good mom. And at the same time, continually feeling frustrated creatively, feeling like I wanted to be writing. I wanted to be doing that even full time if I was really honest with myself. You know, we didn't have the finances at that time to have our kids in childcare full time. So I was doing a lot of the stay at home mom thing. And then just trying to squeeze my creativity into the margins where I could. And so not surprisingly, I wasn't getting a lot done. And I had a lot of little projects that I'd started, but not finished. And it just felt, you know, here I have my MFA. I've been a Fulbright scholar. I've won some awards. But like, what am I doing with any of it? I'm just like sitting on it and not producing anything. And so that was what I was carrying with me on that bike ride, really feeling down. But then as I'm riding up into the Oakland Hills, I don't know if you've ever had these moments, but it it was one of those moments where you just feel almost like struck by a bolt of creative lightning. Like it it just felt like the moment, right? It was just the idea was there. It was fully formed right away. And I was like, that's it. I'll start a daily podcast. You know, and the idea was basically... I would write one personal essay every single day about just whatever was going on with my family and me at the time. I would write it in one draft, record it in one take, and push publish. And I knew just enough about podcasting to know how to record that episode. And of course, writing, you know, I had that muscle was when I'd worked a lot for 20 years at that point. But I had no idea how to edit audio. I didn't know really anything about anything now looking back. I mean, I just laugh at how underprepared I was for that undertaking. But, you know, my husband, to his credit, was like, yeah, great idea. That sounds like a really good way to just like make the most of these couple of weeks. It'll be this nice little time capsule of what this weird moment in time was like for, you know, two or three weeks of our lives. And of course, we all laugh now when I say two or three weeks because that two or three weeks would become what's now been our lives for the last two years. And after four months, I had a hundred daily episodes. I did them Monday through Saturday. I didn't even know that Monday through Friday was a thing. I That was how uninformed I was about what it took to do a daily podcast. But I did do it and I learned and You know, I learned because I was doing it. I learned because I had to. And I learned fast because every day that episode was going to come out. But what happened in that process is very, very quickly, not only did I learn and sort of give myself an education in audio, but my family, everything that had been really secure for us before just started to kind of crumble around us. So starting with about two weeks in, my husband had Mm -hmm. been working full-time as a freelancer for a high-end home construction company that just immediately stopped all of their work and had to basically just let go of everybody for a while. And, you know, he being a copywriter, doing marketing, advertising was like the first to go. So that was our main source of income. That kind of disappeared. We had been planning for about 10 years to do a sabbatical year in Mexico and That actually was the only reason I knew anything about podcasting was I was working on another podcast about immigration and had applied for a Fulbright, but like that, you know, the borders closed. And so that 10 year dream just kind of disappeared and then it just went on from there. So that, that's kind of the origin story and you know, the rest is history now. We're now at 200 episodes almost. Yeah. Right. And celebrating your 
two-year anniversary. Congratulations. Yes. And my husband, by the way, has been doing this work with me for almost all of those two years now. Yeah. There's so many similarities in what you're you're saying. It sounds like we both had a very similar commitment to this thing that we wanted to start. And mine was... <laughs> naively that I would go for a full year without stopping. And it's always been a weekly show. And that was, you know, had its own level of like, I kind of wanted a break. (laughs) There was a point. Yeah, it's a lot. The weekly thing is a lot. Yeah. And daily, I can't imagine. I wish I had found your show during the pandemic because I think there was such a profound feeling of loss and helplessness. And I mean, obviously isolation, but that none of us could quite put our finger on like exactly what it was. I know I, I think I said like I feel like it still continues with that feeling that like no one came to save us and that was re- really deeply disturbing. I feel like at a, like a governmental level it wasn't just the U.S. like we all kind of were in free fall. How did that play out for your show? Were you able to chronicle it as it happened? And Yeah you know the interesting thing about doing a daily with zero lead time you know so I literally launched the show on March 17th that the idea came for on March 16th and then every day of course I was just like well what have I got today is that it really was going through that process not just for myself but kind of realizing that even as I was experiencing that personally our world was experiencing that on like a larger global level and that that feeling that you talk about of nobody's coming to save us and just the the kind of i think real despair that crept in I know at least for me plenty and I think for a lot of us it's something that I work through, especially in that first season. And I think, you know, starting in season two, we became weekly. So there was a little more time to not a lot more time, but a little more time to sit with what was coming out each episode. But it became clear pretty early on, even in that first season that, yes, this was a podcast that was very much tied to the pandemic. And yet at the same time, it was so much bigger than that, because it was this feeling that really was always there. It's not like the pandemic made loneliness a thing, right? It's not like it's not like the pandemic made the fact that we have so many problems systemically or pick your category of problems in the world. And it's like those have always been there. You know, our world has always been broken. But it doesn't mean that it's hopeless. And I think that tension of living in on the one hand, lamenting things that really do need to be lamented and calling them out and sometimes even grieving that, like that's an important part of being human in this world. And, you know, we we need to not be flippant about the things that really are wrong and are needing to be healed. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that we can't have hope and that we can't find joy and that there isn't some way that we can be there for each other, even if it looks really different than it did in the past. And I think just like living in that tension between the despair and the grief and the joy and even delight, that place in that paradox is kind of where this show has lived all along. And I think as we've gone on, we've gotten clearer and clearer on like, oh, this is what we're doing. This is what this is about. This is about looking unflinchingly at the world that we live in and saying, yes, we need to do better. And let's see if the way that we go about that 
can actually bring about some joy and delight for all of us. And maybe sometimes it brings tears too. And that's okay, because that's part of it too. But to really try to figure out how to support each other as we lean toward the joy and Mm, the hope. That's really powerful. Yeah, my last season, and I actually, my book that I wrote in the pandemic was about finding joy in the messy middle, which was amazing. Like, it's just the improbable idea that even though everything seems that it's been upturned and like we don't really even know what end is up right this minute, there are, even if they're small, moments of joy that we can notice and choose to notice. So um, I know you mentioned that you saw the quote about um, joy is a choice and we must must keep choosing it, which is Henry Nouwen. Um, I don't know. Was, do you have a history with that quote? I just love Henry Nouwen. I, I've read several of his books and he's one of those authors that I just, I find him to be so mm-hmm. deeply wise and helpful. And I've picked up his books I mean, probably the first time I read one of his books was 20 years ago. And I, over the years, he'll be one of these authors that I circle back around to. And I just, yeah, every time I'm like, oh, Henry Nouwen, I need to be reading Henry Nouwen all the time. And I haven't even read all of his books, but I've read a few of them and I've really just found them to be so, just so wise and hopeful and resonant with the times that we live in. Yeah, yeah. He seemed to get it, and I appreciate that about him. He was uh, one of the theologians that worked at Yale Divinity School, which is where I got my my master's. But I never met him, so I always felt like you know he we didn't we missed each other by a few years, which is just kind of interesting. But I don't know. They have a chapel for him there too, which is so sweet, as um, they should, <laughs> right <laughs> below the main chapel, which seems appropriate. Like strange, yeah, like, right, him right. as well, like. Don't want to be too much in the big chapel. Not not too ostentatious, just a humble <laughs> below the chapel. That seems about right. In the library below the chapel, yes. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Um I, in season three, I know you're looking for the search for home, which oh that resonates with me so strongly because I think after we've all been through this place of feeling like maybe we don't quite understand even what the context. <laughs> for government or our lives or like what's safe and what's not is like coming to that place that feels like home like even just the idea of that seems really lovely how did you get to that as a theme for season three yeah it really started with season two which we called pandemic odyssey and the reason we called it pandemic odyssey is you were in the bay area so you i'm sure remember this august of 2020 we had that crazy week where the wildfires came about two months early and we had a heat wave Mm -hmm. and for, you know, me again, home with little kids, we had this very makeshift backyard pod with another family at our school. And it wasn't a great situation, but it was sort of like what we could cobble together when we found out our kids weren't going back to school. And then the fires came and we went from this little backyard learning pod to suddenly we had to be indoors because we couldn't be outside because the air quality was so bad. And, you know, it was like 100 degrees that week. And our house is not a big house. It's two bedroom, one bath, like tiny little starter home. And so we had, you know, six kids crammed into our little sweaty living room with no air conditioning and trying to learn on computers. And it was just this moment where we were like, you know, we're trying to like make the next season a shelter in place and actually be a grown up business and do all that work. And it was just, it was just this moment where we looked at each other and we thought, 
I don't think we can keep doing this in this way. Like something has to give and we need some help. Yeah. And we had tried, you know, we have a lovely community here in Oakland, but it just wasn't able to be there for us during the pandemic and the way that it had in the past because we were all, you know, not seeing people. And so what we ended up doing was driving across the country very, very suddenly. I mean, we had that first day of the fires for the first time ever in 17 years of living in California. We talked about leaving and yeah. My husband called his mom who'd homeschooled her five children. So she had some experience with that. And he asked her if she would be willing to take care of our three kids five days a week so we could work. And she said yes. And two weeks after we had that first conversation, we were in the car driving away. We had people renting our house, you know, which made it possible for us to leave wow. and not, you know, lose everything. And for eight months, we were in Massachusetts, and then an additional three months kind of split on either side of that. We were traveling, just driving a one big road trip across the country and kind of seeing people who would see us and then, you know, trying to camp or find cheap motels or whatever along the way. And so our pandemic odyssey was really the journey across the country and back. And when we came back to Oakland a year later, we didn't think we'd stay we thought there's probably just no way that we can make it work here. It's just, it doesn't make sense. It's so expensive to live here. Surely we just have to cut our losses and sell our house and move on. And I think that that would have felt easier to say home could be somewhere else if we felt like we knew where we were going to land. But the truth of the matter was in that journey across the country and back, there was never any place that felt like that, even near family. I mean, it was just so interesting. All of the sort of reasons on paper where things should make sense for us to move somewhere, it just wasn't adding up in a way that felt like, yeah, now we can pull the trigger on this and go. And so we were just really sad about leaving Oakland. We have, you know, I mentioned we have a wonderful community here. We have a great school that we love. We have a great church community. We have an amazing neighborhood where people show up for each other and, we thought, well, we'll just have to leave it and we'll just, you know, we'll come back for one year. We'll see what happens. Even before we pulled into our driveway, we had messages from neighbors, one of them saying, hey, come over in our backyard and we'll cook you dinner tonight. And another one saying, hey, we'll buy you groceries. I'm going to the grocery store. Can we pick you up groceries? I know you've been away. I mean, it was just immediate that we felt welcome back into this place that really has been home for you know, 17, now 18 years. And so this question we've been asking, searching for home, on the one hand, we kind of said, let's just stop asking that question for a little while and just see if we can make it work here in Oakland. And let's really be as rooted as we can be under the circumstances. But then on the other hand, at the same time, I think we now realize this search for home is it's not just about our physical home. It's about California. You know, what does it mean that our state that we love is now, you know, months of the year has the threat of wildfires and not just the fires themselves, but the air, the smoke, you know, that's real for all of us and not just in California. I mean, it's all over the place. And yeah, I mean, and we, we experienced it in Minnesota over the summer driving back we woke up one, I mean, I write about this in our first season three episode. 
we woke up one morning to wildfire smoke, to the kind of, you know, purple air that we were used to seeing in California, but I didn't think would ever reach Minneapolis. And it was fires in Canada. So I think like that's been kind of the larger search for home of not just for us personally, but globally, you know, for our nation, for our world. What does it mean that climate change and the way that our world is changing means that home isn't a given really for any of us anymore? And maybe it's not fires for everybody, but it's something, right? You, you know, it's extreme weather, it's hurricanes, it's, and, and I think as you look at this idea of home, to me, home is really, it's the place where you can feel safe and settled and be yourself. And we just realized that was always going to carry with it a sense of uncertainty, definitely personally during these very hard two years in the pandemic, but also for all of us. I mean, it's just not something that I think, and again, I think it was always there, right? It was just easier to ignore before and to pretend like we had security because we kind of were able to prop ourselves up with things that made us comfortable. Well, and there was something very profound about that that set of fires that happened in that August. I remember, because it was a really hot week, and I remember waking up to the sound of the lightning storm and the rain, and I was like, the heat's breaking. And I ran out our the windows right here. I ran out to the yard at two in the morning for what, and I was expect, like I was so happy and it was hot and I just started crying. I knew like the electricity and the air and the energy of it was so wrong that I was, it was clear to me that this was very bad. And then to, I think the next day of the fire, the sky was okay, but the following day was horrific. And just that it was like a dread I had never felt and I can strongly relate to your saying. I mean, so I've been in the Bay Area 40 years. <laughs> and it's um, it's very hard because we love this place. I mean, all of us, I think, love this place so much. But there, it was also the first time. I mean, we talked about maybe moving. But it was almost this feeling of, and now we can't even exactly. breathe here. Like, it was... It was so upsetting. So I, I can relate to that. And I, it's amazing I, I mean, how lovely that you went on the journey to see, like, where else? What else? Let's experience something else. I love that so much. That is really – it's brave and courageous and it's, like, embracing joy. We've been trying, so cool. you know. I mean, it's – it hasn't always looked yeah. pretty. <laughs> Let me tell you that. <laughs> it's been a lot of, like, ragged edges and <laughs> – meltdowns but no i mean i I think i think the interesting thing is in that journey we realized like we could make a home anywhere i mean i i firmly believe that i've lived a lot of different places i love california but i also know if we moved somewhere else we'd make it work you know we would make it work we'd put down new roots we'd find our people and also I think in some ways you just trade your problems, right? And so that – and honestly, that that day that yeah. I mentioned in Minnesota with the smoke, I think waking up to that and then having the smoke follow us all the way back to California. And then ironically, the first clear day we got was as we were coming into Oakland. <laughs> it's okay. I mean, it was like two weeks straight of just smoky air through the Dakotas and Montana and Washington and Oregon. And it made me realize – we're, we're, we can't outrun this. 
And so we've got to figure out somehow to live better with it. And I, I still don't know if that means we'll be in California forever. You know, we love it here. We love our community. There's so much no. joy for us no. in being here. And also, like, it may be that there comes a time where we have to leave. And I just, we've kind of stopped asking the question for now because it was a painful question to live with that hanging over our heads all year last year. It just meant we never felt like we could be settled. You know, mm -hmm. I think I'm not afraid of the question anymore. And I feel like it's probably inevitable that at some point it'll come back around again. Mm, yeah. And I appreciate that as a family, you said we don't want to live in the space of having it still be a possibility. Because that really is a hard space because we've we've wrestled with that as well. And kind of similarly, there probably will be a time. Exactly. Fremont is not our home. And seeing the blessing of what has it has been, but also seeing, yeah. Probably. But then also letting it be for a little while that, no, we're here and we could enjoy the neighbors that we have and we can see the good. I don't think we're going to get to a place of settledness where everything is comfortable and fine and we don't ever have to ask hard questions anymore. Like, I just don't think that's realistic for any of us. But that doesn't mean yeah. that we can't find just a tremendous amount of joy in these little moments. And, you know, for me, it's it's been a lot about looking at you know, even on the worst days where I just feel like I'm tired. I want to give up like this is hard. Stopping for a minute and just like scooping up my daughter and snuggling her, taking those moments of being like, I'm just going to hold my girl I'm just going to play with my kids. I'm going to go for a run or a hike or a walk or just even like stare out the window at the peach blossoms blooming on our new little tree that we planted before we left town a year ago. People who do mindfulness stuff, they've been saying this for ages, right? It's, it's that living in the present and embracing the moment and really allowing ourselves to be freed for a moment of all the things that we think we are supposed to be and just saying like, it's okay if I'm just a person right now. Like I don't have to mm -hmm. be anything. I just have to be here and enjoy the vibrancy of this blue sky out my window or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. And those simple joys, it's kind of, I, as you were saying those things, it was flashing in my head that, you know, so many of the writings of like, Laura Ingalls Wilder. Like I, I often wondered, like, why are not all they had they had long winters. Yeah. I mean, we know Minnesota oh, yeah. winters, like long but those books, I mean, we don't get hundreds of pages of awful times in a bad what she shares is those little joys. Yeah. You know, and, and so I think there's something about that too that you know, your show stands as that thing that was the times of someone during a pandemic. Yeah. But I mean it it is amazing because I think if we also look at other works that came out of times like that. Or just hard times. Yeah. Lots of times it was the ability to see the little bitty details, kind of even like Anne Frank, like that there's those tiny moments and and beautiful thoughts, even if there's nothing really beautiful around you, that you still have them and you can cling to them. And so, um, yeah, I think seeing that, you know, holding your daughter or <laughs> me, I have a son, uh, I, I snuggle him if he lets me. <laughs> But the I have a son yeah. too, and same. Yeah. The dog still lets me snuggle. Sometimes he yeah. lets me. So I think that's really, yeah, that's really beautiful. Yeah, and it's, it, I always think it would be nice if 
personal transformation and character growth came in the times of life when everything feels great. Mm. (laughs) But it's basically never that way. You know, it's always the hard times. And I can remember my, you know, I've, I've often quoted my mom in Shelter in Place because she said some very wise things to me over the years. And one of those is, you know, you grow the most in the times when life is the hardest. And I think that's true, or at least you can, right? It's not a given that you will. I think that we certainly can get bitter in those times. That's an option too. Yes. But it's choosing to see the moment as, you know, just a, an opportunity to to become maybe a little bit better or bigger or more compassionate than we were before. Favorite mentors. Father Rusty. <laughs> Likes to say you can be bitter or better. So and I think it's that moment of the choice is so important. I like what your mom says too. I often wonder what our own kids will take from this time. Of I'm very curious for my own because they, in a lot of ways, they they feel ownership of the podcast. You know, they we do this fun little thing where we do outtakes after the credits. So if you listen all the way through, we do just like silly little things that make us laugh. And I don't even know how many people actually listen, but I laugh when I make them. So it's totally worth it to me to make them every time. And sometimes my kids have gotten to be in those outtakes. And they always, of course, want to just fast forward to the outtake to hear themselves. We listened to my daughter, Matea, who's five now. We've got one from her like a year ago, and we just listened to it recently. And I mean, they were just cracking up because she sounds really, really different now as a five-year-old than she did as a four-year-old. And I mean, she's a little clown anyway, but yeah, it'll be really interesting to see when they look back at this, what memories they carry. Because I think right now the way they feel about it is they actually think Shelter in Place is like the name we made up for our podcast. (laughs) That's the only association they have with that term, which is kind of sweet. But it didn't, like I had to tell them the other day, no, Shelter in Place was the term for the pandemic. And they were like, oh, we just thought that was the name of your podcast. Um, but yes, they were like, was oh, we just one. thought that was um, the name of your podcast. So we met through Claim Pod Parody. I feel like we should give that a little shout out. Um, and Elsie Escobar, That's who amazing. started it, of, of Libsyn, and she podcasts. Um, was It really was. That's was beautiful. Was there anything that you learned that was kind of like unexpected through, through yeah, Claim Pod for Parody? Sure. I think that the thing that was the most fun for me was just getting – to meet other women. I mean, I've met a ton of women podcasters and doing this work, but like I met you through that. And I don't know that you and I ever would have come into contact otherwise. And I'm so glad to know about your show. You know, like I've listened to a couple episodes just since you and I got in touch, but I'm really excited to listen to more. And I think the other women that, you know, there were a number of them I already knew about or was already in touch with. And of course, knew Elsie. I mean, she's fabulous. But it's one of my favorite things about doing this work is getting to meet other podcasters. It's just, it's the coolest community. And I think, I can't say it's a a surprise to me at this point, but I think a lot of people outside of the industry who are not podcasters don't realize this. I just think podcasters are like the best people ever. I mean, they're just really wonderful, lovely people. Mm Mm-hmm. Like almost 100% at this point, you know, I'm struggling to think of anybody I've met who hasn't been that way. And 
I agree. Not every industry is that way. Most industries aren't. Right. Yeah. And I think maybe it's because we're all doing this because we love it. I don't know. I just, I feel like there's like an an innate joy in podcasters (laughs) that is, it's just more common than I ever imagined that would be for, for any industry. Yes. I found that to be super true in not that this is any in any way uh, sponsored by She Podcast Live, but an excellent, like the best conference I've ever been to. I went to the one in 19. I didn't go this last year, but just unbelievable to be in a space with that many people that love what we do as much as they do. And the way that you could walk up to literally anyone and have a conversation about something that you love, it didn't matter the topics of our shows. It, it was it was a connector in a way that I would not have known had I seen it in, in person and seen the people light up with it. I totally agree. I was there the, this last year. I was a speaker at the one in October, and it was the first time I'd been. And I just – it was beautiful. I mean, some of the connections I made there – are, I'm now great friends with some of those people, and it's been really, yeah. really sweet to see just yeah. real community. So, yeah, a little, little shout out to She Podcast Live. And I think there's another one October this year. If people have not heard that, go sign up if you're a podcaster. Tell us you're going. We want to meet you. And before we get to the last question, of course, if people want to find your amazing show, Shelter in Place, they can find it at shelterinplacepodcast.org. It is one of the 2021 International Women's Podcasting Award winners. It also was a nominee of the Golden Crane Awards in 2021. So it's really exciting to see all of this. And I know in the last year, you also launched the Kasama Collective which is a mentoring program and has is also a social impact award winner for 2022. That's on the same website. So be sure and check out all of these amazing things that Laura is working on. And so as we get to the last question, Laura, what are three ways that you can think of to jumpstart joy in your life, in the world, and in other people's lives? This year, I came into 2022 feeling very, very tired and worn out. And then in January, my entire family got covid And so we kind of started the year feeling behind. In past years, I was always one of those people who'd made New Year's resolutions and had all these big goals for the year. And this year I realized I really just needed some resolutions that were going to bring me joy. So three ways that I have jump-started my own joy are to play, speak, and listen. Let me say more about what I mean by those. I've been giving myself permission First of all, to play with my kids more, to get a little silly with them sometimes. One of my favorite ways to do that has been to start doing Zumba with Making Waves Studio, which is an online and in-person dance studio. Sometimes I go to in-person classes. Sometimes I do it online on Zoom. But I actually did two episodes about the co-founders. They're both these amazing Venezuelan women who have really used dance to find joy even in the midst of some really tough times in their lives. And it's been absolutely inspiring to dance with them and so much fun. My kids have actually sometimes danced with me, which has just been a delight. So that's play. Next, speak. Early on in our Shelter in Place episodes, I interviewed somebody named Moki Musao, who has since become a friend. And Moki said something that really stuck with me. He said that in the pandemic, when he wasn't seeing people, instead of sending text messages, he started sending voice memos to people. And there are apps for this. You can also just use your phone's voice memo app to send it as a text message. 
that has been a really lovely way to reach out to people and just let people know that I'm thinking about them. We use this app Voxer a lot within our team at Shelter in Place. We've used it with our trainees and graduates. And so I will often get messages from our graduates about just what's going on in their life or some question that they have about negotiating for a salary for a job or needing a reference or just wanting to check in. And I really, really love hearing those updates of people's lives. And it's also given me a way to get in touch with people who are across the world, who a phone call is pretty much never an option for us. Maybe we could do Zoom, but it's really fun in the interim to be able to have that connection that can happen when we have time for it, but doesn't have to be urgent. And then third, listen. One of the great things about leaving voice memos is that I often get them back. I've really found in these last two years especially that the sound of somebody's voice is just so deeply comforting to me. And I think that is maybe why so many of us are finding podcasts too. I mean, of course, the other thing I do on those walks is I listen to my favorite podcasts and I'm always listening to new ones and discovering new ones and I love that. And I think maybe it's something about that human connection there of hearing somebody's voice and you hear the emotion in their voice and you can kind of even hear what kind of day they've had. I'm finding that a real source of joy and comfort right now. Thank you so much for joining me today, Laura. It has been such a wonderful treat to get to know you. Thanks for having me. Laura, thank you so much for coming on. It has been such a treat to get to meet you and I look forward to staying in touch uh, over podcasting (laughs) and parenting and all sorts of things. It's been a real delight to get to know you. Um, If you want to find out more about Laura, about the Kasama Collective, if you want to tune into her podcast, Shelter in Place, you can find everything you need to know in the show notes, which you can find in your podcasting app if that's where you're listening, or you can head over to the website at jumpstartyourjoy.com. You can also head directly to Laura's website, which is shelterinplacepodcast.org. And you'll find more information there. Of course, if you're interested in that podcasting mastermind, it starts April 29th. That's this Friday in 2022. Uh, You can find more on the website jumpstartyourjoy.com and you can apply right there. And you can also find more resources about podcasting on the website. A couple of other things that you can do, you can sign up for the newsletter right there on jumpstartyourjoy.com and you will get weekly newsletters from me. Or be sure and follow Jumpstart Your Joy on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher and you'll get updates as they come out each week. Um, I'm really looking forward to continuing this conversation about finding home, which has been the topic for kind of this month of Roll 2022. Next week, I'm going to be doing a solo cast where I talk about my heart's second home and how that's taken different forms throughout my life, but also a recent trip that we took that uh, made me think about it in a new and different way. And then in the next week, we'll hear from Jen Oglesby. And our conversations early on were one of the things that set into motion this idea of intentional comfort for 2022. So I'm really excited to have her on as well. And of course, if you have anything you want to share with me, I would love to hear from you. And I welcome your emails at paula at paulajenkins.com. Just let me know what you're thinking about this series, about this website, about this podcast. And I would love to, to just check in and chat with you. So send me a note. Thanks so much. I hope you'll come on back next week for the solo cast. And until then, I hope that your days are filled with so much joy.